This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 211, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, October the 15th. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is Adam Chapman, the host, and this is our uh, episode where... Episode 211, which is our focus on the reviews for comics that came out on Wednesday, October the 15th. Uh, so this will be coming out on the, I guess, the 22nd. So uh, new, this will be coming out at midnight on that day. So comics are new comics are about to hit the stands. And uh, But before we can read all the new comics, let's talk about the comics that came out this past week. Uh, so the first book I want to take a look at this week is uh, none other actually it was going to be I always go alphabetical and it was going to be uh, Avengers and X-Men Axis and then I realized I'm not sure if I read it all no I did okay I, for a minute I was like I don't even know if I read this um, part of that's just because I don't find it that memorable or that good uh, so it's book um, let's see it's part of book one The Red Supremacy uh, this particular issue is written by Rick Remender and the artwork is by Adam Kubert um, I just expected more from this series in general. I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. The fact that we have these, uh, these adamantium sentinels and we, for some reason have this monstrous onslaught, which is never really understood why that even happened. I mean, in, unless you were reading Magneto, you don't even understand that Magneto killed on, uh, Red Skull or I guess Uncanny Avengers, sorry. Uh, he killed Red Skull, which somehow birthed this new entity, although there's no real explanation given for how it's even here. The whole thing seems very trite because it doesn't make any sense. Um, I still, to this day, hate this Magneto caution with the bare arms. It just, I, it doesn't look right for me. It makes him look like some weird, weird thuggish caveman. I also don't like that he's bald, but whatever. Um, I found the issue very forgettable. Uh, Iron Man and the others trying to fight against uh, the Red Onslaught. They're trying to, uh, you know, protect themselves on Genosha and uh, keep themselves away from Red Skull. And at the very end, Magneto shows up with some friends. Um, I thought this was very forgettable. I'm going to give it like a four. Uh, I'm probably being too nice. I just, I just found it uninteresting. Like, again, there's a lot of stuff. It's not really explained how it happens. Adam Cupert's artwork isn't quite as on point as I would have expected. His storytelling is a little sloppy. Uh, I just found it forgettable. The fact that I even forgot if I'd even read it is not a good sign. And the very end felt very much like Magneto disappears and he shows up with the most motley crew of villains possible. Like, I'm not against Magneto having villainous friends, but, okay, if you look at the panel, he shows up with Jack-O-Lantern. Okay, well, first of all, which fucking Jack-O-Lantern is this? Because we've had a few. The most recent one, I'm pretty sure, died in uh, Venom, so whatever. We have in the background Hobgoblin. That brings up a whole other gaggle of apples. And which Hobgoblin is it? We're supposed to assume it's Roderick Kingsley, but once we talk about Magneto, I'll express how I don't think that's even necessarily possible. We have uh, the younger version of Loki with a sword. We have the Absorbing Man. Yeah, that makes sense. You have Mystique and Sabretooth, which, again, I hate that Sabretooth is wearing this weird costume, which would be fine if it wasn't for the fact that he was in a suit and running around Magipur recently as, like, a badass, you know, who's kind of in charge. And then he was a slobbering monster in Death of Wolverine. So, get it together, Marvel. Like, fuck. Be a little consistent. I mean, you have editors for a reason. Some sort of editorial consistency. I'm pretty sure changing the way he's drawn or illustrated is not going to be that big of a fucking deal. And it's not just me complaining about continuity. It's pretty obvious. Like, in one issue of Wolverine, he's this way. And the next time we see him, he's this way. But that next time we see him is like a month or two later. What the fuck happened? Presumably it's the same editor. So what's going on? 
Uh, we have Doctor Doom in the background. Uh, we have Enchantress. Where the hell do they find her? And uh, Deadpool. And we have Carnage in the foreground. So, 4 out of 10. And I'm being a little bit nice, I think. Plus, it bugs me that we have a lot of these pages that just have the, uh, the kind of the axis borders. It's like they couldn't be bothered to give it a full border. I guess it's just the beginning and end. But with these X's, I just don't... I don't know. I don't. I don't really like that either. The first real page and the last page have the, these X uh, borders. Uh, next up is Batman and Robin. Uh, this is issue number. Let's see what issue is this? No, issue number thirty-five by Tomasi and Gleason remains a very consistent and enjoyable book, um, even though it's getting far away from the stuff I usually enjoy with Batman. Uh, so we have Batman in the Hellbat suit or whatever it's called, going up against the forces of Apocalypse. Uh, while back on Earth, we have the family, uh, so Red Hood, Batgirl, and uh, Robin, I'm sorry, Red Robin, because like, uh, Dick Grayson obviously isn't around, uh, deciding that they're going to go after Batman uh, and follow him to Apocalypse. And to do that, they're going to basically take out Cyborg, uh, steal the Mother Box technology from him and hotwire it, and then open up a portal using the conduits they have. They're all going to wear these Robin-ish costumes that they're inspired from Damien. Uh, Cyborg wakes up and then follows them through, and they all end up uh, against the forces of Apocalypse. Um, it's not a bad issue. It's got some good stuff. However, the whole fact that the Bat family like takes out Cyborg, that seems like a big stretch. Like I know that they're going after Batman, but isn't there a way of reasoning with Cyborg? Maybe like instead they have to like neutralize the guy, lie to the guy, neutralize the guy, and then hijack his systems. Like that seems pretty extreme. I'm gonna give this six. I mean. Again, I like the art, and I like the general direction of the story. I just found that aspect of kind of um, being kind of a dick to Cyborg to be a little, I don't know, uncharacteristic of this of these group. Maybe Jason Todd, but the rest of them? I don't know. Uh, Batman Eternal, number 28. Um, it's interesting. It remains interesting. Um, so the artwork here by uh, Megan Hetrick uh, with uh, Scott Snyder and James Tinney in the fourth doing the story with Tim Seeley on script. Uh, so here we have uh, Red Hood trying to kind of make a decision on what he's doing, if he should go back up to space or not. Uh, but he's got some, um, you know, last thing, minute things to do. Uh, the whole subplot with uh, Croc and uh, Catwoman, it's okay. It just feels like it goes on a little long. Uh, the Red Hood stuff with uh, Batgirl I found a lot more interesting because you don't usually get to see Jason Todd and uh, Barbara having any kind of um, discussion. And I did like the idea that... Um, her kind of saying like what if there was more and him kind of saying no no matter it's like you said i'll never be dick grayson i thought that was really cool too um but yeah it, it kind of felt like a serviceable issue but not a great issue i did like the art i'm gonna give it a six uh it just didn't light my world on fire speaking of things that didn't set my world on fire you have batman superman number 15 i found the framing sequence the beginning and ending painful um i found the whole story of you know batman kind of being kind of cool because he doesn't remember that he's Batman but he has all these skills and he's kind of hidden on Lois and giving her a Batgirl costume and then you have Catwoman and Superman teaming up uh I just didn't like it Greg Pak has been very hit or miss for me on this title uh artwork is by a giant group of people we got Pascal Alix Diagene Miguel de Neves and Mark Deering and Cliff Richards um I just found it a very forgettable book um I don't know. I just feel like it didn't really add much. The story I found kind of poor. I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. Uh, I just... And again, the framing sequence I hated. 
And I only I kept going because I'm like, well, maybe this case of mistaken identity thing will be kind of interesting. But instead, it just wasn't. Although it did remind me of one of my first Superman comics I ever read. Can't remember the number right now. But um, it was a Superman and Flash book. Uh, my dad had it. I think it's from like 1973 or something. Um, and it's Superman and the Flash. They have a bit of a... Um, they wake up and they think that they're each other. Uh, I can't remember exactly why, but uh, they think that they're each other. They you know, think that Superman thinks he's Flash. Flash thinks he's Superman but can't fly for some reason. Uh, they end up trying to take on each other's identities. Um, it's, it's silly. It's kind of early bronze age silliness or like late silver age silliness but i enjoyed it it was a lot of fun it kind of reminded me of this where it's kind of we don't remember who we are but we're gonna try and be these people but i found that a lot more charming and enjoyable than this because this stuff just found painful um so maybe five is even being too generous i'm gonna give it a four uh so far this week is not (laughs) turning out so well we got what two fours and two sixes uh, good thing we have a power cleanser in uh, Daredevil number nine, which remains a f- just a brilliant book. Uh, also, the first trade came out uh, this past week as well. So this is uh, written by Mark Wade, artwork by Chris Somney, who is just absolutely amazing. Um, this issue is just a lot of fun. I love his style. The idea you have the the Purple Man's children on the muck on the run and running amok. You have um, Purple Man himself has uh, thankfully healed from his horrific. Um, uh, I guess vehicle problem. He got hit by like a bus last issue. Um, the Daredevil parts were really cool and well done here, as he's you know almost overcome by all the different emotions that he's tried to kind of uh, master in terms of becoming this happier uh, Matt Murdock than he has been in years. And also, I also like the um, the whole sequence where he's talking about writing a book. And and Foggy being like, you know, you're going to have to confront all these emotions that you've worked so hard to kind of put aside. I thought it was a really strong book. Uh, it's not surprising that it's such a strong outing. I mean, this is a dynamite creative team, uh, so I'm going to give it a 9. Um, it was just so readable, very enjoyable, and a lot of fun. Uh, next up is Death of Wolverine number 4. I don't even know what I want to say about this because I feel like I've gone a lot of different directions with this. It's written by Charles Sewell, artwork by Steve McNiven. It looks fantastic for the most part. Um, I found it very anticlimactic, um, partially because I feel like in the original one, Dr. Cornelius was conflicted. Like, I don't think he was an asshole. I don't think he was... It was the professor who was worse. I feel like this doesn't really ring true to who Cornelius seemed to be. Because he seemed to have a lot more conflict. So here he's kind of a cold-blooded killer. Um, so that that part I was a little bothered. You have a character he Wolverine fights against, but it doesn't really go anywhere. And really what it comes down to is that this adamantium is about to go into these people. And Wolverine wants to save their lives, ends up getting coated in adamantium. And then he it basically hardens and he dies. Um, it, again, felt a little anticlimactic at the same time. I did kind of like the idea that he kind of went out on his own terms... He made a decision. It wasn't in as a result of like a big fight, per se. It was him making the decision to save three lives, and that was more important than vengeance, more important than his own life. And at the end, I mean, it was kind of sad when um, you know Cornelius is saying, "What did you ever do but kill people? What did you ever do? What did you ever?" And then Wolverine, as he remembers his life and these kind of highlights of his of his life, as the adamantium is solidifying, he just says, "You know, enough." 
Like, he, he did enough, and then he dies. That being said, how the fuck does this make sense? You have, like, what, molten hot adamantium that's supposed to be infused into people's bodies. It goes on to him, should scar him and kill him almost instantly. He's already been operating extremely injured the entire series. He has no healing factor, unless they want to say that he used one of the vials or whatever. Bottom line is, he shouldn't have even made it this far. I get the idea that it's kind of... A symbolic way of him going out, and they've probably got a few back doors built in here. But I just found it bothersome. So, like, I'm, I'm on the one hand, I think it's a nice way of coming full circle. On the other hand, I I need a lot of different hands to say how I feel about this book. I think I'm going to give it a five. I think most of that's art. Again, at the very end, I felt that the art kind of wasn't as strong. Um, and the story, I'm just not sure. Uh, did it say something? Yeah, but didn't need to be said. Like at the end of the day. We, Wolverine knows he's done things like he's made a difference does he need that kind of final moment to be able to say like I did it maybe not anyways that leads us to death of Wolverine uh, Logan legacy which is one hell of a mess um written by Charles Sewell artwork by Oliver Gnome who I'm not a huge fan of it's just a weird book because of how it's structured so you start with Sabretooth and Dakin and Dakin seems less horseman of apocalypse than i would have expected they're fighting in this cage x23 is is kind of dumped into this cage so they have x23 dakin and Sabretooth. they're all in there um then you have what lady deathstrike dumped in there as well so you have all four characters stuck in this room with each other trying to figure out what to do next and then it looks like charles xavier is there uh but it turns out to not be charles xavier but then we start getting these weird things where they're explaining something about, what, X-23, and they're saying, make sure to pick up the next issue, because we'll explain how she came to be here. And then uh, Xavier's talking about um, Lady Deathstrike, and she's, like, thinking about something, and apparently we've got to read issue four of Logan Legacy to see about that. And then they mention something about Dakin, and we have to read issue five to see that. And then, then there's some other guy that we don't even know, and we have to read Logan Legacy number three to see this. And then to find out what's going on with Mystique and... I guess destiny we have to read issue six and so it very much made me feel like what the fuck are they doing it just felt like such a weird book that you're having these characters imprisoned in the spot they're being held by this i don't know someone who looks new but who knows and it looks like this anthology kind of miniseries is going to be focusing on characters leading up to where we see they get to in the first issue which is just a weird way of being like oh ho, these characters are here want to know where how they got here read the rest of these issues what I, I don't know, it's something about, there seemed to be crash commercialization here. I just found it wasn't written that well, or I wasn't that intrigued. Um, I'm going to give it a four. Again, this week kind of sucks so far. Um, then we've got Earth 2, World's End, uh, number two. And again, I just found this a little frustrating, just because it, it felt like it wasn't nearly as good as Earth 2 could be. Uh, stories by Daniel H. Wilson. It's written by Wilson, Margaret Bennett, and Mike Johnson. Our work by Eddie Barrows and Eber Ferreira, Tyler Kirkham and Joe Weems, Paolo Sequera and Cam Smith, and Jorge Jimenez with breakdowns by Scott McDaniel. Uh, so you have this character from Apocalypse kind of running rampant through everyone. I found that character really, I just didn't care. I did like seeing Power Girl and the new Superman together, as well as having uh, what Lois is going through as well. Um, but that's what it, like, it's just, it's just an odd book. Again, the Kirkham stuff, I thought, tonally didn't fit some of the other artists. Um, Earth 2 has been a lot better than this. Now we have this World's End crossover, and I just feel like it's taking the best parts of this world and just kind of throwing them away. I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. I just I was not intrigued, not interested. 
and I uh, couldn't wait for it to be over, which is pretty damning. Uh, then we have Fantastic Four, number 11. Um, let's take a look. Uh, so I do like the cover with um, She-Thing and the regular thing fighting each other. It's written by James Robinson, artwork by Leonard Kirk. Uh, so we have Reed Richards and Wanda have just had their bit of a crossover, or not crossover, team up. You have White Wingfoot checking in with uh, Jennifer Walters. You have The Thing getting beaten up in prison. Uh, pretty badly, but then eventually being able to uh, to win, and Sandman gives him some uh, some assistance, which I kind of like that Sandman's being developed this way. Um, you have Sue returning from her horrible uh, 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 the way she was written, her characterization in the FF Annual, and then that leads into uh, the end of the issue where you have Wyatt Wingfoot uh, trying to get in touch with Johnny, and he gets attacked by someone who he believes to be Hawkeye. Um, he's running, running. He gets saved by uh, Spider-Man, which is a great surprise appearance, and the thwip is really well done on that page. Spider-Man's there to uh, save Wyatt Wingfoot, because uh, Jen Walters told him to, to uh, check up on him. And then it looks like it's uh, the Heroes Reborn version of Hawkeye, which is definitely a head-scratcher, but makes me more intrigued. Um, so this isn't my favorite issue of this book, but I definitely feel like it's, it's starting to gain some more momentum. And uh, given all the... The rumors that are coming up about what's going to be happening with uh, FF soon as the book may or may not be well it looks like it is ending but what's going to happen after that and people saying it might be retired for a while it looks like it's going back to legacy numbering before it does that I'm going to give it a seven but I'm intrigued by at least uh, the next chapter of the Godhead crossover uh, which is Godhead Act 1 Part 4 in Green Lantern New Guardians um, so this is written by... Now, I haven't read New Gardens in a while, but I found this issue very easy to jump into. Um, so it's all about Kyle, the White Lantern, the White Lantern power, High Father trying to harness the White Lantern and um, telling him that you know, he needs it in order to have the life equation. It's written by Justin Jordan, artwork by Brad Walker. I thought it was interesting, although I still don't like the idea of Kyle with uh, Carol Ferris, as I just don't think that makes a lot of sense. Um... But uh, definitely intriguing. So I'm going to give it a 6.5. Uh, next up is uh, Hulk number 7. It remains a book I really enjoy. I like this Doc Green persona. Um, I like what uh, the new writers are doing. Uh, that's Jerry Dugan. Sorry, new writer. Uh, I like Mark Baker's artwork quite a lot. I like his take on the Hulk. I think Hulk and Hulkling have a bit of their uh, kind of tete-a-tete. I really enjoyed Hulk and Savage Land was cool. Um, I don't even know what Scar's current kind of status quo is, but I liked him and uh, the Hulk having a bit of a fight, and then eventually um, him depowering Scar and trying to introduce him to the world. I just thought it was a really well-done issue in terms of characterization, seeing more about what's actually going on with Banner, uh, sorry, Hulk, as he turns back into Banner. Uh, it was really cool seeing Hulk give himself his awesome new haircut, and the fact that uh, they're going to be leading up to... a um, Taking on She-Hulk next, which Red She-Hulk next, which I like that they mentioned the secret air layer of the Order of the Shield because those who read the few people who read the Red She-Hulk, which I loved and most people didn't, um, will like that they at least reference that because it's been referenced nowhere else. So I'm glad that they're at least keeping that up. I really dug this again. I think the Bagley artwork is fantastic. I think the scripting by Dugan is is really good as well. Um, I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. It was definitely a bright spot in a lot, in a lot of kind of mediocre to not good books that came out this week, as we've discovered so far. Uh, next up is Justice League 35 by Jeff Johns, artwork by Doug Monk. Um, this is the be- the kind of beginning of the upcoming um, 
uh, Mesovirus storyline, the prologue, uh, the whole idea that you have Lex Luthor and, uh, and Bruce Wayne announcing their partnership, uh, Bruce Wayne kind of being led by Lex Luthor into all of his different labs, um, you have the Justice League kind of ready to jump in if they need to, and then a villain shows up, and then at the very end it looks like the Amazovirus uh, starts to uh, get him is going to start breaking out and infecting people. I really like this issue. It was a strong characterization. Uh, Jeff John's doing a really good job of kind of developing the ongoing storyline as well as moving forward to the next one. I really dug it. So I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, Magneto number 11. Um, this could have been better. It's by Colin Bunn. I work by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. Um, so we are kind of crossing over to, into Axis um, as it's taking place during the first couple issues. Um, actually, sorry, during the second issue, really. Uh, so Magneto takes off from Axis. He gets a bit of a, a reality check from his somewhat sidekick, uh, which takes way too long to happen. And then he starts going places. So he's got not a lot of powers, not a lot of resources, and Genosha's going crazy. So he takes the time to go to Magipur and talk to Sabretooth the Mystique. He goes to Carrington Cottage Psychiatric Hospital for some reason to find Carnage. Um, he goes to, to San Francisco to find Absorbent Man in New York, where, Rod, to be honest, Roderick Kingsley isn't even there, but apparently he finds him there. Uh, he goes to Latveria and finds Doom and uh, Loki, and then goes to Asgardia to get the Enchantress. And then finally gets Deadpool, and he brings them to Genosha to fight against the Red Onslaught, because he needs villains who they won't be able to, um, you know, because uh, the Red Skull is being able to corrupt all these heroes. Well, how about I use people who can't be corrupted? I use outright villains uh, and see what they can do. The concept's not that. It's kind of interesting, but I guess just the way the issue ended up being written, having so many pages with that the kind of him getting bucked up, I just don't need uh, Magneto to have his confidence shaken and have him get built up like that. It just didn't feel that in, uh, genuine to the character. And then having him visit characters who he has no connection to whatsoever, I at least like that what Deadpool mentioned Acts of Vengeance, or someone did. That I kind of liked as a bit of a dig, but other than that, I just found it... wildly inconsistent doesn't make a lot of sense these characters don't know each other why would they even follow each other i'm gonna give it a five mainly because of that even though uh, it's cool to see the villains together i want there to be a reason or some sort of something that puts them together in a way that makes sense and so far we haven't gotten that uh next up is miles morales ultimate spider-man uh number six this uh this i dug uh it's good art by david marquez bendis wrote it uh, Jameson goes into shock. It looks like Jameson may or may not be dead uh, at the hands of the Goblin. Uh, unfortunately, the issue is super protracted as, you know, we're trying to get answers as to who, if this is really Peter Parker. There's no body. He woke up in this lab. It's, is he the real thing? Is he a clone or not? Miles Morales goes up against uh, the Green Goblin and is able to make him back into Norman Osborn as a result of his stingers, which is kind of cool. And then at the very end, uh, Osborn... Is trying to tell um, Miles that he knows who his father really is, or knows something about his father. Interesting, but slow. I'm going to give it a 6.5. Again, the artwork is fantastic. The script isn't bad, it's just slow. Uh, next up is New Avengers. Uh, this is issue number 25. Uh, another issue of Time Runs Out. Really dug this. It's by Hickman, with artwork by uh, Kev Walker. Um... Again, feels kind of on its own thing because we're spending all these issues kind of establishing what's happening. So we have the continuity, sorry, the Illuminati rather, uh, with their team. Uh, Captain Britain's on the team now. They aren't able to use translocation uh, teleportation without everyone being able to find them. Uh, this ties into the first issue of Time Runs Out because they're trying to find out what happened to 
uh, Amadeus Cho. Um, it's de definitely interesting to see what they're talking about and what they're not talking about. Uh, and they're trying and Amadeus being in jail and being confronted by the Invisible Woman, uh, Reed kind of dealing with his own stuff, and then uh, they have to use translocation for Black Panther to escape. Um, and it looks like Wakanda is gone. I'm still digging this storyline quite a lot. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Actually, maybe a 7.5. It wasn't as strong as I was expecting, but it was still, for the most part, a very good issue. Uh, next up is Original Sin Annual, number 1. Oh, man. Um, I just didn't care. I didn't find this very enjoyable. It's by what, Jason Latour and Ennis uh, Sizik. Um, I didn't really care about kind of seeing this character who ended up being the first man on the wall. I just found his story uninteresting. Um, seeing the framing sequence with, with uh, Fury, I didn't find any more interesting. Uh, I just found the whole thing kind of a superfluous uh, issue that didn't need to occur. I think we got everything we needed in the main ongoing of Original Sin. I don't think this added that much to the story of this character, nor do I will I ever remember this character's name or care about him at all. I'm going to give it a 4. I just I found this whole issue to be unnecessary. Uh, next up is Red Hood and the Outlaws 35, which I barely read, but I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting cover. Let's give it a shot. It's by Scott Labdell and artwork by Geraldo Borges. Um, really compelling start with uh, Jason Todd confronting or being at uh, Rory's bedside as it looks like he just got charred to a crisp, and then we kind of move backwards and see what happened. Uh, even though I haven't read this book in a while, it was really easy to just pick up an issue and read. Uh, it was enjoyable. I'm interested to see what the, the aftermath will be after what Starfire inadvertently does to um, to uh, Red Hood, so not Red Hood, uh, to Speedy or Arsenal, whatever you want to call him, to Roy. Uh, the artwork was, you know, not the most consistent, but uh, generally speaking, I did enjoy it. Uh, I'm actually going to give it a 7. I enjoyed it, I think, more than I expected. Uh, and the last issue I'm going to take a look at is uh, the next issue of Spider-Man 2099, which is, I think, issue 5. So let me just pull this up on my digital copy here. Uh, so Peter David continues with Will Slaney as his artist. Um, I'm excited for, uh, what's his name, um, Rick Leonardi. I think he's going to be in next issue. Uh, I'll be interested to see what his uh, take on, like, what his artwork looks like. I haven't seen him do art in a while, and this is a character, Spider-Man 2099, that he created. Um, so it's written by Peter David. Oh, I'm wrong. My apologies. I didn't realize that this issue was, but was by Rick Leonardi. According to the... Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be Rick Leonardo, not Will Slinian, because I did think it looked different. Um, anyways, it starts off, we're on Earth 98-120, so many Earths, uh, where we have Morlun show up, and he, had, he attacks and fights against uh, a team of Avengers that includes Spider-Man, uh, Captain America, Wolverine, and Genisfell, uh, and finally Spider-Man is killed, uh, and the psychic feedback hurts Miguel on Earth 616 as he's in the middle of taking down some robbers. Then you flip to uh, ish, uh, Earth 98-120 as Morlana is being uh, examined. And so he takes off from his world. And we are looking at Earth 6375 as Miguel O'Hara is the Exiles version of um, Spider-Man 2099 who's now living on that Earth with a version of MJ. And he's worried about what's going to happen next. Uh, and the fact that uh, you know the, the Morlana is kind of killing people and... Uh, at the very end of the issue, it would appear that the Exile Spider-Man 29 gets attacked by Morlun just as they're about to uh, do a crossover between the two Spider-Man 2099s. 
uh, and then he gets hurt. And I'm sad that the Miguel O'Hara from Exiles is dead because I don't know, know if that was necessary. But I'm glad that we kind of established that now we have like a prime version of Miguel O'Hara from the six one six. Issue's okay. I just I think part of it's the art. Uh, some of the art by Leonardo is really strong. Some of it just is lacking. Um, lacking in some detail. It looks a little fuzzy. Like the, again, the shot of the two Spider-Man 2099s and Morlan holding one by the neck. Wow, there's a lot of composition issues in the, uh, issues with this. Uh, so hopefully his art gets better the next time we see it. Anyways, that is uh, the last issue I'm going to talk about. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. I think the script was stronger than the story in this one. And that is everything for this week. Now, the books I didn't get a chance to read yet, but will read it sometime in the future, but not for the podcast, include Avengers World 14, Batwoman 35, Deadpool's Art of War number 1 by Peter David, Edge of Spider-Verse 5, Fables 145, Loki Agent of Asgard 7, Mad Magazine 530, Miss Marvel number 9. Cannot wait to read this. Just didn't have a chance yet. Um... What else we got? Uh, New 52 Futures End 24, Painkiller Jane 22 Brides number 3, Storm number 4, Superior Foes of Spider-Man 16, Thanos, The God Up There Listening number 2, Supergirl 35, Teen Titans 3, Teen Titans Go number 6, Trinity of Sin number 1, Uncanny X-Men 27, Wolverine the X-Men number 10. Uh, so looking uh, briefly forward at stuff that's coming out later today on the 22nd, uh, some highlights include the following... Uh, from DC, some of the highlights include uh, Aquaman 35, uh, you have the Annotated Sandman Hardcover Volume 3, the launch of Arkham Manor number 1, uh, you have uh, the launch of the new Deathstroke number 1, you have uh, a reprinting of the Gotham City Sirens book, uh, Trade Paperback Volume 1 from before the, pre- the from pre-New 52. Um, we've got Multiversity The Just number 1, Secret Origins number 6. Uh, the Ronin Deluxe Edition hardcover, and a new issue of uh, Superman by Jeff Johns and John Romita Jr. Uh, Flipping over to uh, Marvel Comics, we've got the new printing of Alias. Uh, Because the character is having her upcoming uh, Netflix series in 2016, I guess, uh, they're going to do a new uh, reprinting of her omnibus. There's also the Axis tie-in of All New X-Factor, the conclusion of the Miss Marvel... uh, crossover not crossover team up in amazing spider-man number eight uh which is also part of edge of spider-verse uh we have a new chapter of time runs out in avengers number 37 for the third week in a row we have an avengers and x-men axis issue number three uh with axis hobgoblin number one which i'm interested in although i'm a little trepidatious about it um We've got the, the De- a Deadpool uh, Axis tie-in in number 36. We've got the Hulk trade paperback Banner DOA, which is the first volume by Mark Wade and Mark Bagley, which I think is definitely worth reading. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the Iron Patriot uh, trade paperback Unbreakable. I guess I missed that that book was canceled or ended up only going for, I think, one arc, but now you can own it all at once. Um, for If you didn't read all the 100th anniversary Marvel uh, one-shots earlier this summer, they have a trade paperback of that, as well as the original Sin trade paperback for Hulk vs. Iron Man, a uh, new issue of She-Hulk, uh, you have the uh, Secret Avengers uh, trade paperback for the current run by Alice Scott. Wait, no, Spencer. Now I can't remember who writes that. Um, Silver Surfer trade paperback volume 1, New Dawn, absolutely worth reading. Please pick it up. You owe it to yourself. It's fantastic. So that's everything coming out on the 22nd of August.
sorry, August, October. Uh, thank you for joining me for episode 211 of Comic Shenanigans. We'll see you next time for episode 212, probably in uh, three to five days, depending. Um, thank you for joining us. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes. If you do uh, give us a rating and review on iTunes, please let us know what country you're from so I can read it on the air. And also, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes so that uh, when a new episode finally gets uploaded, you'll get it automatically uh, downloaded to your iOS device. Uh, So thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye.